You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. This is the X-Man Podcast. I'm your host, Doc Coyle, and I think I have a case of the Mondays. My apologies, but it just goes that way sometime. It's finally starting to get a little hot here in Long Beach, California. We don't we don't have central air, so we have to put in you know those window air conditioners, but we haven't had to cha- had to use them yet. So it's one of those things where it'll just be hot, so you I think it just makes you tired and lazy. So I just had one of those days, just sweaty and sticky. And I don't know. I think the weight, the emotional weight of the last, I guess, probably 15 months maybe. But but it feels more like the last five months or so was just, uh, I don't know, just kind of weigh, weighing on me and exhausting. I just Some days I'm just tired. And I don't, I don't know directly what that's related to. I think there's ways around it, be it... You know, just living the right way is, the I think, the way to not, is to, you know, you got to work out. You got to eat correctly and not drink too much and all that stuff, which <laughs> has been a little bit hit or miss for me lately. Uh, but but I need, I think I need to find, an, uh, like, a new equilibrium and kind of a new, I guess, daily schedule, regimen. So... I don't know. Some days I'm just just feeling shot. And I'm the type of person, if I'm not as productive as I'd like to be, I, I get kind of depressed. And I have all these things I want to work on. And, you know, and I'm, I'm dealing with a lot of real life stuff in, in addition to that. So it's, uh, I don't know. Just just figuring some things out. And that's just that's how it goes sometimes. Sometimes you're up. Sometimes you're down. I'm not too down. I'm just, like I said, I'm just tired. And maybe that's just getting old. Maybe that's part of it. Sometimes you just you just shot, and I'm I'm 40 now, and maybe, I, maybe that's what happened. <laughs> I think I was talking to somebody, and I was like, I think this is the everything that's gone on in in the last year or so. It's like the first. It's like the first period of my life that truly kind of aged me physically, because <laughs> I think I've done pretty well with uh, not looking too old or not looking my age, but. Some of these things just start start c- catching up with you, like uh, the uh, Bad Wolves video we put out, kind of showing the our new singer, and I had like really big bags under my eyes, and people made some comments, and it was, and I was like, yeah, I just got off a plane <laughs> that the night before, and was dealing with my father's death and the funeral and moving things and just things I can't even talk about. And, you know, so you understand how things like real life events start actually to age in that, that stress. So I don't know. I don't know. I guess I think I'm, I think I'm yammering a little bit. I don't have any, pro- any probably profound points. I uh, got some good responses to last week's Q&A, made some news. People picked up the, the little God forbid 
headline there. So we'll see what happens with that. The Determination, L, the vinyl is coming out next month on Record Store Day. So look out for that and might make some merch too. We'll see. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna look into that. All right. I'm going to stop yammering because I just don't think I have a ton to say this this week. And and for that, I apologize. But hey, you know what? We can use a shorter show every now and then. They all, all don't have to be uh, three-hour epics. Okay. We have a sponsor this week, thankfully. <laughs> and it's a band from Boston. They're called Silent Season. And we're going to play a track entitled Addiction.
So that was Silent Season with their brand new single, Addiction. I hope you enjoyed it. I thought it sounded great, very well produced, very catchy, made for that you know kind of radio audience. And they've been around for uh, quite some time, actually. They put out an album in 2012 entitled Break Me Down and an EP in 2019 called The War Within. And... Listen, they've, they've done some really cool things. Uh, one of their biggest songs, I think, has over 2 million streams, which is pretty sick. And they've been played all over the radio, uh, Sirius XM, Octane. They've toured with bands like Seven Dust, 10 Years, Gemini Syndrome, 12 Foot Ninja, and opened up other shows with for Black Veil Brides, Hinder, Lacuna Coil, Nonpoint. The, the list goes on and on and on. And if you'd like to support the band, I suggest you go over to their website, which is Silent seasonmusic.com it has this brand new music video as well as all the links to their social media and you can go support them tell them that the x-men sent you one thing they're doing uh they haven't announced a new album but they're kind of just doing singles which i think is uh i listened to this to the punk rock nba podcast uh had they had courtney from spirit box on it was a great interview but they were talking about how they kind of broke out just by doing singles. And I'm starting to think maybe this is like the way for newer bands instead of just doing albums just because it's more expensive, it obviously takes longer, and you can kind of, maybe that's the way people are absorbing music currently. I don't know, I'm, I'm kind of fascinated, but so I think it's actually pretty, pretty smart. So go over to Silent Season, check them out, support them. If you would like to sponsor the show, just uh, you know, drop, drop a DM, on the social media, or you can shoot me an email at the X-Man podcast at gmail.com. Thank you, Silent Season. All right. We have, I mean, probably, I mean, as legendary, if not the most legendary guest we've ever had on the X-Man podcast, and it makes me really, really happy. Uh, we have Mr. K.K. Downing, formerly of Judas Priest. I mean, one of the architects of heavy metal, Period. Uh, and he, he couldn't have been nicer. It couldn't, couldn't have been lovelier. Uh, it came about after thank, uh, Jamie Roberts, uh, who used to be the do PR for better noise music and is now, um, freelance. And she, she totally hooked us up all, all the love to her. So it came out, came about, uh, not too long ago. And she said, Hey, you want to talk to KK Downing? And I was like, how many fingers do I have to cut off? Uh, so he is an X-Men and, uh, he has a new band, uh, KK's Priest coming out with Ripper Owens, formerly of Judas Priest as well. And, uh, and listen, I, I, I really don't think I have to intro, intro much. I was just giddy and it was a, a really great talk and a little shorter because we only had a 40 minute time limit. So it's a little shorter than some of my shows, but I think it, it will be enjoyable for you guys nonetheless. So please check out my conversation with legendary the ultimate, the mighty, K.K. Downing. All right, I guess I guess Jamie's off. Well, K.K., thank you so much for taking your time. It's a, it's a pleasure, Doc. Thank you very much for having me on the show. Of course, yeah. This is uh, this is pretty pretty mind blowing for for myself. So the name of my show is the X Man. <laughs> And, and yeah, and the, and the way that started, you know, I used to be in a band called God Forbid. Um, we actually toured together, but on separate stages. We did God Forbid did Ozfest two thousand four. 
oh yeah cool very cool i i know jamie was telling me about bad wolves i've heard of bad wolves yeah well that's that's your current band yeah yeah well bad wolves was a lot more successful than god forbid <laughs> yeah uh, it all comes around but um but but no so so the the concept of the show was i was out of god forbid and i was in this like this period of my life where i didn't know what i was doing where i was going what my, my what my direction was uh and so in many ways you know you are welcome first off welcome to the x-man club <laughs> thank you very much um <laughs> uh, but no i mean listen it it, it kind of all all comes around uh to have people like yourself who, I mean, essentially are responsible for this genre of music that yeah. I, I have the good fortune to uh, be, a, be a part of. So I just want to thank you uh, for, for being here. It just means the world to me. It's a, it's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. Uh, are you a guitar player? Don't yeah. Oh, yeah. A, a guitar, yeah. Okay. Yes, I am. So it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's funny. I, I got to, so I actually play in a band with uh, Kirk, and Rob from Metallica called the the wedding band, and oh right, yeah, cool. For that band, it's all the songs they grew up with. So it's you know we do some priests, we do some Motorhead, yeah. we do some Sabbath, and so it's you know I've I've got a chance to kind of to try on some of those riffs and 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 the vibes, and it's it's very in, inspirational for me because I'm I've been someone ever since I got into uh, hard rock and metal has been very interested and in in the history and where things yeah. where where things come from but uh anyway enough about me let's talk about you <laughs> um yeah but it's an interesting topic really because like i say i mean i do feel well i know for a fact i was there at the very very beginning when it all started you know and you have to go right the way back to about 1963 64 really i think you know um you know how we actually got the genre you know and it is well defined isn't it now as i guess classic or true metal you know yeah i, I guess but obviously there's elements of because we were a heavy rock band as well um and we were rock we were a rock band before that in people's that was the terminology that people use you know all pretty much dirty words at the time, you know, because uh, these genres were moving into a place where, you know, people, you know, they were kind of switching off from it, you know. But, but anyway, you know, we can talk about that, some of that if you want to, but I don't want to. Uh, you go ahead, uh, Doc. What, what, what was going to be your starting point here? Well, well actually. A new record, maybe. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I always have my, my bullet points. But often conversations, you, know, you have to kind of let them flow the way they're going to flow. So actually, because you brought that up and the the genesis of of the genre, I did have some some questions ab about that. Um, you know, what was for you going on during that time? You said you kind of mentioned you know the late sixties, where England specifically seemed to kind of be ahead of the curve on this with what you guys are doing, Iron Maiden, Black Sabbath, Saxon. Uh, was, I mean, was there something specific socially or culturally going on at the time that, that inspired that sound? 
I think so, because, I mean, I could sit here and talk for hours about the evolution of um, what I experienced, you know, um, because all of the other genres that existed when I was growing up, like pop and jazz and classical and whatever it was, none of that was of any interest to me at all, you know, and to the point where until I got to a certain age, until I heard something, I did need, I had no interest in music really at all, you know. I grew up with two sisters and they were listening to obviously Elvis and, you know, the Beatles and, you know, all kind of uh, the Liverpool bands and stuff like that. But there wasn't anything around for like, snotty little kids like me, impoverished kids, you know. Because um, I grew up, it was, uh, obviously the background was pretty rough and tumble and, uh, you know, and uh, I, and it was rough and it was uh, it was poor. But so I could relate to blues music because that, you know, obviously um, the people, obviously, um, that were creating that music, Delta, Mississippi, whatever, wherever it was in America, you know, the great artists, you know, um, you know, that started to become quite a big thing, you know, because people didn't have anything else, really, you know. And and we 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 used to like to listen to that. And I'm not there. There was people there actually before me, probably by about a year or so, Jimmy Page, you know, Jeff Beck and... Uh, all of these players, Eric Clapton, you know, they were all listening to the black blues artists, you know, because it was more meaningful and more soulful, you know, something more that they could digest that they felt, you know, that they felt more a part of. And so the blues music was very, very important in England. But when we, when we started to take it on, and I was there as well, because I went to see a lot of that great black blues players, you know, Freddie King, Albert King, you know, Sonny Terry Brown, and we did lots of of, of uh, these great artists would, would come to England and play, you know, before rock, before heavy rock, before any of those genres. And, um, and needless to say, because of all the guys we were listening, I, you know, I didn't take to it like, like Eric Clapton and, and Peter Green and all, all of those guys, you know what I mean? But because they took to it, they formed what was reclassed as progressive blues. Mm. Because if you take Cream, for example, they are the absolute ultimate progressive blues band because that, their influence, their music stemmed from the blues, uh, but they did progressive solos, you know, which were incredible, you know, uh, improvised solos. So it was, you know, an- another form of progressive blues. Fleetwood Mac, another great progressive blues art, uh, band. When you think that they did songs like Albatross and um, Green Man Alishi and uh, Oh Well, you know, this is an incredible progressive blues band. And there were lots of others, you know, whether it was free or whatever, some more progressive than others. But we still didn't have the music for me. Mm. I, didn't, I didn't hear it. I liked it, and I was a fan, and I went to see all of these bands multiple times. But when the great Jimi Hendrix came over, you know, I must tell you a little story before then, the first time I really heard 
something that sounded what I liked was 1965, You Really Got Me by the Kinks. This was different. This was a riff. This was, it wasn't <laughs> blues. It wasn't blues. It wasn't pop. That, that, they were kind of known as like, you know, a pop, a pop band. But this was different. Something about it, I liked it. So I used to play it over and over again, you know. And there's a couple of things that the early Stones did, you know. And the Trogs, you know, Wild Thing, I like that. You know, there's bits and pieces. Barry Maguire did Eva Destruction. I liked it. What was it about that? I liked it. It was just, it was dark. It was, it was, it was meaningful. It was, do you know what I mean? We were looking, I was looking for something that, that fitted. But when the great Jimi Hendrix came over and I saw him in 1967, that was, you know, obviously I could hear it on the record. But when I experienced it, literally experienced it live, you know, it was the greatest name for a band. It was an experience to see him, you know, in those early years when he was unaffected by lots of things that crept into his life. You know, uh, lots of things were going on in management and stuff like that, and obviously whatever else crept into his life um, that, that creeps into rock stars' lives. But, but when he was fresh and he was hungry and he literally was on fire, you know, but... That's when I really heard uh, what I wanted to hear. Mm. And it wasn't in every song, but it was in a lot of those songs, you know. Um, and, um, like, I, I don't want to absorb too much of your time. So, no, we've got another, we've got another interview, you know, lined up. But, um, but, you know, this is what got into, I ran, I ran out and bought a guitar for £10. <laughs> I did. You know, because I saw Air Jimmy six times. Wow. And, um, and so, but the thing is, I wasn't, I wasn't the only kid experiencing this. There was lots of others. If we want to know where rock came from and heavy rock and hard rock and heavy metal, and, well, this, is, this is the beginning of it all because, you know, these are more, when you, when you hear riffs like Purple Haze, you know, and... Um, you know, I mean, these songs, you know, they're, they're just so special. And, uh, and Foxy Lady, you think, oh, God, why does this have a heaviness about it? You know, I mean, it sounds massively heavy, you know. And so you start to, as a young guitar player, you start to think, why is this heavy? It's riff-orientated. We know that. But it, it, it's, it's got these, these magic ingredients, to me, that appease... Me instead of listening to, you know, um, to the music that had a healing effect of everybody and 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 got them through a working day or through their days of of oppression, you know, this was heavy metal was the music that did it for me, and I knew that this had got we've got to have more of this. Bands have got to create more of this, and so that was that was my journey. My road started there. To try to to create more of, of this style of, of music for for you know more for you know for for people like me you know um, we weren't working in cotton fields and and we weren't there on the chain gang and that but we were living a life of oppression because it was rough back those days not too long after the Second World War you know. It was still on um, rationing. And it, it was, yeah. So I didn't want to 
bore everybody to death, but this is what the journey that I've been on. And it brings me to where I am now. It's, it's a time um, that, that, that um, it's a journey that's still continuing. So I'm, I'm in a very happy and content part of my life now. Right on. Um, so I think with the Hendrix thing, it had so much to do with the heaviness with tonality and like, you know, the fuzz that he was using and just the actual yeah. sound of the guitar. It's little bits of everything, but the main criteria is, is the, their, song, their riff-based songs, you know, yeah. which was a different thing. It was a different thing, you know. Um, whereas everything else before was, if it wasn't blues, it was more chordal, you know, and um, but the riff uh, thing, you know, and this is why, you know, it stemmed from progressive blues originally because Jimmy was a great blues player, you know, and he was he played a lot of songs that were progressive blues to me, you know, um, you know, uh, Wind Cries Mary to me is like Fleetwood Mac. Did so, I mean, you 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 listen to Albatross, but that is progressive blues, you know. Um, but without going into too much detail there, because I will, I can talk for anyone. Actually, one more question about, about that era. And this is just more just to kind of pique my own curiosity. It Was Thin Lizzy kind of ahead, ahead of the curve with the dual guitar harmony thing before you guys and Priest? Were they an influence on that? Or is there something, or are you guys concurrent with them? No, no, because we used to tour. We, we played a lot of gigs with uh, Thin Lizzy when they were just a three-piece. Gotcha. Yeah, we, we, we used to go up and down the motorways playing clubs. We would play the same venues, you know. Yeah. But, uh, um, every now and again, we would play together, um, you know, um, which was great to do, you know. Uh, they were... They were a bit bigger than us at the time, so we would usually support that, go on first, you know. And uh, I don't know when they, when they actually started the two guitar thing. Um, but having said that, we were a four-piece at the time. There was just me on guitar, I think. Um, the last time we played with, I don't remember the last time we played with you, is it? But, um, so it was such a long time ago. But, yeah, we used to go up and down the, the freeways and we had, like, you know, the equivalent to your truck stops. We would have something to eat, park up the van and sleep in the van. You know, that's what we used to But there used to be other bands there. You know, all, all like England's a much smaller country. We call them, we call them motorway services. You sometimes just three or four bands all asleep there. I can remember one night we were, we were there, Finley's van was there, we pulled up next to them, we all went to sleep. And and we would hear this big, oh, big moaning and groaning in the middle of the night, we could keep waking us up. And it was Phil, because he had toothache. He was in the van next door. So we had to drive over the other side of the car park and park up there, because he was keeping us awake. Because <laughs> he was really loud and in pain with toothache, you know, so funny story.
I've been there on tour with my wisdom tooth was coming in in 2005. Actually, I was in the airport in Gothenburg <laughs> waiting to go home right before Christmas. So I've, I've definitely been there. Um, so let's talk about what's going on now. It's been about a decade since you were active with Judas Priest. Uh, why now? I mean, were you, have you been planning on making record for years or is this something that kind of uh, came to be just recently? No, uh, you know, um, a friend talked me into doing a, a few songs with Ross the Boss at Bloodsock Festival. Um, because originally I wasn't going to play. I was meant to get an award, um, I, you know, be presented with a, with a, into, you know, in, inducted into the Heavy Metal Hall of Fame. And, and I agreed to do that, you know, uh, say hello to the fans. And then they said, would you get up and play a couple of songs, you know? And uh, that came about with Ross the Boss. And, uh, and, that, and that was very cool to do, you know. Um, and then after that, you know, um, I did the show with Ripper and, uh, and Les Binks. That was, I was meant to just be playing a couple of songs mm. with the Dave, actually with the Dave Ellison band who was coming to England and was booked into a venue which I'm an ambassador of, KK Steel Mill in Wolverhampton. And uh, they asked me to play a couple of songs, you know, and as the, as the uh, ambassador of the venue, it's hard to say no. So I said yes. And then a mutual friend said, I'll fly Ripper over. And it just grew and grew and grew. So we did about an hour, you know. Yeah. And then after that, I thought about it and... I thought, no, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna be lucky to form a band, and then sit down to write an album and find I'm stuck, you know. So I did that Christmas. I did that. I sat down on my own, and 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 I looked to see if I had an album in me. And after four weeks, I had everything, you know, lyrics, melody lines, all the music, everything in in four weeks at the most. And I was amazed. Wow. And then, and I thought then. I'm not going to embarrass myself. Hey, I can still write, write some songs, guys. Let's form a band. And that's kind of how it happened. But just prior to that, I did ask the other guys in Judas Priest. I said, look, is the door open or is it closed? And they went, it's permanently closed. I had asked before for whatever reasons. They're happy. They're doing what they're doing. So I thought, okay, there's full license to get on. And um, I'm going to – I'm going to – I still felt that I'm not going to discard everything, who I am, what I've done, what I've achieved, the whole legacy. I'm going to carry some of that with me, you know, forward, you know, so I can be in the past, the present and the future, you know, with everything I do. And I think I should, you know, I can't spend a lifetime doing one thing and then just disown it because there's elements of that that people are going to want from me. You know, do they want me to play the sinner? Yes. I want to play the singer, you know, I want to play Victim Changes, whatever. I want to play some stuff that I always wanted to play that never got played, you mm. know. Um, so I want to do that. I want to do KK's Priest material, the Ripper years, um, some stuff that I never got to play from probably 1970, the early days, you know. Um, and, and, and record a killer live album and, and DVD. Awesome. Got to be done. Got to be done with, with that kind of mixture of, of music. 
Hey there, I am Johnny Christ from Avenge Sevenfold, and I've got a podcast called Drinks with Johnny you're going to want to check out. I sit down with a bunch of different people from all different walks of life, from professional wrestlers to actors, comedians, fighters, musicians, everything in between. I'm just looking to make some friends and have a good time doing it. So if that sounds like something you're into, go check out Drinks with Johnny, streaming everywhere now. Hello, everybody. I'm Bruce. And I'm Nolan. And this is the Corner of Gray Street Podcast. As longtime Dave Matthews Band fans, we set out to create a podcast to dive deep into the past, present, and future of DMB. Not only do we recap and review shows within an ongoing tour, but we revisit past shows from throughout the band's history, conduct interviews with a wide variety of guests with ties to DMB, and create unique and exclusive content like our Concerts on the Corner series. Whether you're a fan of the band or just a fan of great music, we think you'll find something you'll enjoy. We can't wait to see you on The Corner of Gray Street. Ready for a head-bangingly good time? Dive into the world of heavy metal with the Brutally Delicious Podcast. Here, we don't just talk music. We welcome you into our heavy metal family. Join us for candid chats with legends and rising stars. We go beyond the typical interviews, exploring raw emotions and the life-altering impact of heavy metal. So whether you're a diehard metalhead or just curious, join our family and let the headbanging begin with the Brutally Delicious Podcast. Yeah, I want to talk about a little bit about how you put these songs together. Are you someone who's like a home studio guy where you just record yourself. So you've been, so you put, essentially put together your own demos all on your own. Yeah, I can. Yeah. Drums, bass. I can do, I can do, I can do everything. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'd never done completely lyric wise and, and, uh, and stuff like that. I, you know what I mean? Because Rob would step in at some point. Rob used to go away and write, lyrics and song ideas and stuff that myself and Glenn we we would work separately to start with and get together and then pick what we thought well we would argue a bit but not very much really I I was quite happy if Glenn said I don't like that bit of music then I'll go fine I'll put it back into the catalogue you know and um um, but I, I, was, I was so inspired to do this, you know, with all the, you know, the message and the, the rejoicing. And there's a lot, it's very in-depth, this album. It's very meaningful, you know. Every song has a story. It has a meaning to me. And, I, and you know, and it was about that camaraderie. Because I'm a fan as well. I go to, I'm still a fan. I still go to concerts and, and watch bands. And, you know, you know, in a lot of ways, it's just as good as being on the stage. Do you mean? Oh, I'm the same. I'm the same way. I mean, I, I live in Los Angeles, and you know, since the pandemic, we haven't had shows here. So it's been. Yeah. Well, they're just about to open up this next week, and uh, the whiskey is reopening, and a bunch of kind of '80s bands or uh, metal bands are playing over there. So I'm. It's for me. It's I say um, metal, rock, heavy music, whatever you want to call it. It's church for people without religion, right? Yeah. And so it's I need I need to go there to kind of be amongst my tribe, and then we kind of go through this collective catharsis 
through the music and get out whatever frustrations and you know just singing along it's but it's the same thing at church right you go to church and everyone sings a hymn right or the or if you're in a, a islamic faith they have their chants that they do yeah. together and that that whole yeah. kind of communal thing it's the reason why almost every religion has music involved you you've got to say when you're there and you've been through the support bands and you know the headliners coming on and you don't know what to expect because i never watch if i'm going to see a band i never watch watch it on youtube or something it, you know uh just to spoil the moment but anyway if you do watch it on youtube it's it's different to actually being there isn't it you know but the anticipation of the band coming on stage and and breaking you know it's uh you know I, I, and that's what keeps us going isn't it you know and uh you know and just to say i was there been there saw the show and uh, bought the t-shirt so to speak well, you saw Hedrick six times, so I think you have me beat more than more than anything. So, no, but it's interesting because you're 69, right? I just turned 40. And even me at my age, you know, you kind of get people maybe looking at you like, when are you gonna grow up? You know, <laughs> there's this this thing, and I and I I almost feel like it's this, it's an affliction, it's a disease. We're just wired a certain way, the the lifers am- amongst us. Um, so is that what I have to look forward to that this like bug to just be around this music and this culture is just going to be with me forever that need to want to get on stage? Is is it something that's just in us forever? Yeah, it will be, you know, once you, you know, we all take our music with us through life, you know, it's very special and we covet it, you know, um, lots of fans of, never been on stage and played in a band, you know, it's everything is still very special to them because they've got the memories of those concerts. It's like me. Unfortunately, I spent that much time being in a band. Look how many gigs I missed out on, you know. Yeah, uh, all the time. Uh, but, I mean, I was fortunate because even when we've got bands I want to see that are playing with us, I, I don't get to see the show. I might see a song or two, then I have to do interviews and stuff like that. So... I've missed out on so many shows, you know, um, by being in a band. But uh, obviously, there's something very special about being uh, being up there and uh, you know, and uh, presenting yourself to the audience. It's a great, it's a great feeling. Yeah, I, dude, we're like you're very similar. You know, I don't know. I feel like we're cut from the same cloth. Because I, I, I do that same thing. I'll have a, some tours booked. And then I'll be think, and I'll see the other tours. I'm like, damn, I'm gonna miss this show. I'm gonna miss that show. Yeah, you know, it's so crap when you like you've got a three day festival. You know what I mean? Like download, and the headliners like you know, Maiden one night, Kiss the next night, or something. You know, and you think, ah, oh, and you're just there for 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 one day. You know, and you don't get to see the other the other the, all of the bands. You know, you have to fly off to another festival in Holland or something or Germany. It was funny. We, uh, Bad Wolves was on this festival in Florida, and uh, Fort Rock, I think it was called. And the band had three days off, and uh, I wanted to hang out because I, I had family there. And the next day, Ozzy was playing, so I just stayed. <laughs> and they left with the van because they went to leave. I was like, "It's like fuck you guys." I, so I just stayed and I flew <laughs> to the next show just so I could see Ozzy. <laughs> yeah, you don't know. It- yeah, I can fully understand that because you're so close. 
you know, I, you just don't want to miss that opportunity. I can fully understand that. Plus, you know, you got the you got the backstage pass. You're like, you have carte blanche. It's like, yeah, there's a free ticket as far as I'm concerned. Uh, I want to talk about the the band you you put together. I mean, obviously, uh, you have a relationship with Ripper from him uh, previously being in Judas Priest. I mean, have you and uh, Tim kept uh, a relationship going uh, these years since you split apart? Yeah, on and off, we we have. Um, I've I go to see Ripper whenever I can when he's in the UK. Mm. You know, I've seen him several times doing the uh, Disciples of Dio, and the other time Ripper went out. I think he played all of Jugulated, the whole album. I think with his band, <laughs> it was amazing. <laughs> it was, and I was in the audience. Yeah, I was in the audience. I was. Um, I, his voice is just so incredible, you know. Um, you know, it was. Uh, I, I'm pretty sure I'll have to check with him. I'm sure. I'm sure he played the whole thing, you know. But uh, all credit, all credit to him. Yeah, yeah, we've kept in touch. What about the rest of the band? Was it something? Did you know guys, or did management put that together? How did you figure out all these players? Well, originally, obviously, I definitely wanted because Les played with us. Les Binks, obviously, who played with us on a, a couple of albums in the seventies. Obviously, he's a great drummer. He's a great technician, you know. And um, so he played the gig at the Steel Mill with us, and uh, so Les was definitely in, you know, but. Uh, by the time it all came around um, to the recording, you know, Les had suffered an injury, you know, and um, wasn't able to do it, sadly. Um, so then it wasn't exactly panic mode, but it kind of was a bit, you know, so we had to find another drummer. But actually, uh, but fortunately, Ripper came over. We were able to do his vocals, you know, uh, here at my place. And... Um, and and we were checking out drummers, and he and he, we eventually checked out Sean Sean Elg, who had just been playing with Ripper in the UK with the disciple uh, with the the Three Tremors, and they played some Priest stuff, you know, Painkiller and stuff like that, and so we felt sure that he was our guy, so we were able to get him over really quick, and the drums got put down as well, right just when when Ripper went back. Everything stopped, you know, hotels closed, studios were closed, because obviously we were in the studio with our drummer and um, everything stopped. It was kind of uncanny, but I was in a good position really because I was able to carry on working with everything that was, uh, was, had been recorded. And of course, now with the internet, we could fly files around left, right and center. So it all works, you know, it takes, it's a bit more long winded, but, we got it done, but yeah, we got the drums in the studio just north of London, down there, luckily. And um, yeah, so Sean was our choice there. And Tony, the bass player, it was obviously, well, actually Tony started the band Voodoo Six with Richie Faulkner years ago. Mm. So Tony's a, a killer bass player. Tony mixes out front. He's an engineer, producer, songwriter as well. He's a good all-round guy. But he, he did the out-front mixing for me when I played with Ross the Boss and when I did uh, the Steel Mill with Ripper. He did the out-front sound. And so uh, Tony's a, a great all-round guy. But as you can probably hear from the album, if you heard it, he's... I did. Uh, well, I heard four songs. 
yeah, well, you know, um, yeah, the, the objective for me was to be able to hear everything that the bass player, to be able to hear everything that everybody does on yeah. the record, you know. Because when you turn the back the clock to the 60s and the 70s, that's what we did as fans. We would play the record, listen to all the bass, we'd listen to all the drums, you know, we'd listen to just about, just to get those extra little bits that we might miss if we listen to it collectively. Mm. That's what we did as fans, you know, um, to focus. But that, those were in the days when you had the vinyl. It wouldn't last more than a week before you started to get all scratched up, you know, and noisy. See, and they think vinyl's the best. I was, I, that's why I was, my problem with vinyl is I was always terrible at putting the needle down. I always needed one of those players that were do it automatically because I would always would screw it up, so. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah I, if, if this is what used to happen to us, even if you got one of those, because it was, it was, in the old days, it was too slow. You wanted to get the record on now. So you <laughs> He kept on doing it manually, you know. You could go through the process where it moved over, but it was too slow. You got a new record. You wanted to put it on, you know, and keep moving it back, you know. Oh, yeah. So uh, there's certain things that I, I feel like you've either talked about a lot in the press or, you know, I, I imagine you're doing a lot of press. So you're getting a lot of the same questions. So I don't want to kind of beat you over the head with too much r repetition. Um, so, you know, from what I've read, there's, was some disagreements about what happened when you left Priest. Did you retire? Were you? No. Yeah, they, that's what I'm saying. There was, there, yeah. you were kind of for, forced out, it seems like. Yeah, I, I didn't, I didn't, I kind of skirted through that period in my book, really. I didn't really go into that much detail, you know. Um, but no, I didn't retire, absolutely didn't. Um, well, well, in 2010, things were coming to the coming to a boil. Things were happening. I wasn't happy with the previous tour because, you know, I mean, I love Glenn and respect him a lot, but he, he used to have too many beers before and during the concerts at the time. And I don't know what was going on. You know, we had words about it, but musically, we weren't as 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 sure as as I felt I, I wanted to be. I wasn't really happy with that. You know, it was rock and roll. You know, it's one of those things, you know, it's it's rock and roll or you're in a band that really wants to lock it in tight, you know, and, that, and that's what I used to get off on musically, you know, was being really solid and and locked in, you know, with those kick drums. Yeah, well, you know what it's like. Well, I... You're either, well, you're either, the, you're either the kids wishes, you've got a beer in one hand and a, and a cigarette in the other, but you still play the guitar... You know, um, or you really like digging deep, you know. But, uh, but you know, it, it's a long-winded thing. But Rob was doing a lot of things with his own band, touring, doing the Ozfest. He did two. He released two studio albums the year I left. Off, you know, um, in that year, two thousand and ten. Yeah. You know, it was, and and then I was getting pressure to do an EP, and I'm going, we're not an EP band. We're a, you know, and it was and it was a farewell tour. We were all we were all retiring. Supposedly. <laughs> we were all retiring. That was the deal. You know, I saw the press releases saying that the, the end of the band and all of this, and I don't know, everything. Maybe I just, you know, uh, just had some kind of breakdown and I went, just you know what? Have it. You want it, it's yours. 
you know, have it. Um, but what actually happened was a friend of mine was really encouraging me to do the to do the tour, and he was saying the right things. I guess look, you've been there this long. It's just one more tour. You've got to complete the journey. And um, and so I was starting to talk to Ian over a period of about a week, saying, Ian, I think, you know, maybe I'll do it. Because I'd ordered some, you know, I'd ordered some um, guitar processors from Germany and stuff to do to do the tour. I was going to do it. And um, and I was talking to Ian about doing it. And I fully expected to get a message from the management saying, are you going to do it? Is it true you want to do it? But I never heard anything. And I didn't get the right feedback from Ian. He, my friend was giving me all of his encouragement, but I wasn't getting the same sort of thing back from Ian because me and Ian went to kindergarten together. We've been there every minute of this journey, you know. But, but he wasn't saying the things that my friend was saying, you know, but he would have been relaying things back to, back to camp, back to base. But they weren't coming through. But And, and so they sent... Uh, Sent the press release. Uh, press release that we're going to release because they, you know, uh, saying we're going to release this tomorrow. Are you okay with the wording? And I said to Ian, "Can you email me the set list over? Let me see the set list," which he did. And I phoned him back saying, "Ian, it looks great. You know, I thought it would be, you know, all Glenn's choices or you know, the manner, and um, it looks great." And uh, but the next morning they sent the press release out saying I'd retire. So I sent him my second letter saying that, saying that, this is the truth, forget everything I said in my previous letter. So I was trying to bail out amicably, you know, yeah. and also knowing that those guys would have the purse strings, in all fairness, and we were going to have to, and I was a director of the company and everything, I knew I was going to speak to them. But in the second letter, I just flipped and said, and I told the truth. Why I really quit three months earlier, you know. But they still contend. They still told the fans and the world that I retired to look after my golf course. No, I didn't. I had professional managers. It had been open six six years. Mm -hmm. It wasn't true, and I hated it because I've had to carry this burden now with the fans. Think, oh, KK is an a-hole because he he deserted us. He, he did this to look after his golf course or retire. Not true. Straight away, I went in to producing the Violent Storm album with Roy Z. I asked Roy Z to help me out on that one because you know I was doing some other things as well. You know, straight away I did the arranging for all of the songs. You know, helping out, and that album turned out pretty good. You know, uh, and that was the, the band called Violent Storm. We mixed Savino from Blackmore's Night and Richie and Ingve uh, Malmsteen. You know, and then I went to do other things, you know, mentoring younger bands. I was recording. I recorded Beyond the Realms again with Les and, um, and, uh, and Ripper was on that as well, wasn't he? I think Ripper was on that as well. So... So I, I continue to do to, to do things all the time, but always expecting that there would be an opening, you know. And when Glenn retired, I fully expected that that would be the opening, you know. Uh, but they never called me. They just uh, so essentially, you know, those guys are going out there playing my songs and stuff like that. So 
if if they can call themselves priests, I feel totally entitled um, to be a priest also. Yeah, listen, and, and to be able to to play my songs. Well, listen, I think I think people are going to be really excited for it. Uh, I think they are excited for it, and uh, you know, you're you're part of this history and this legacy that has affected so many lives. You're rock royalty, as 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 they say, and I, and I and I really believe people uh, will treat you as such. So I'm. I think we have to wrap up now, but I just want to thank you. I had more questions, but that, it's all good. That's, that, yeah, so obviously we obviously we're musos, we could talk forever, couldn't we? You know, but uh, I just want to say to all the fans, thank you so much for being on the journey with me from all of those decades ago. And let's pick up where we left off. And uh, and I hope you like the music. And um, and I'm very much looking forward to playing a show. Um, we'll bring the show to as many towns and cities as we possibly can. I really look forward to it. Uh, and again, Doc, thank you, and good luck with your band and your musical journey, and um, and thank you very much for having me on the show. Of course, congratulations on the album. Thank you, buddy.
So that was Hellfire Thunderbolt, the brand new single from KK's Priest, and that is from the album Sermons of the Sinner, which will be out August 20th on Explorer One Music Group. Hope you guys enjoyed that conversation. I was, uh, like I said, a little on the shorter side for what I'm, I'm used to, but I was grateful to get every minute with KK. Thank you so much to him and, and Jamie. Uh, yeah, I just, I was, I could listen to the stories all day, especially about the back in the day stuff and hearing about Cream and, and uh, Jimi Hendrix and, and all that stuff because, I mean, he was there. He was there for it. And look look at all this this music and art and history that we have to show for it. So uh, that was wonderful. I ho- hope you guys enjoyed the conversation. And yeah, I don't really have any mo- anything else going on. So uh, <laughs> I'm just uh, rocking. All right. I got a... Uh, Tomorrow, I have to do my other show, Last Words, on The Pit. And we have Angel Angel Vivaldi, who was on this show, the second episode ever. So I have to get ready for that. And I'm trying to write some music. Hopefully, Bad Wolves will have a song out soon. Uh, We're just waiting for mixes to get finished. And I've watched a lot of NBA playoffs and sweating a lot. So that's, that's my life, all right? And I got it. And I, and I got I to gotta write some music, right? I got to get it done, right? That's when these do. Make things. Build. All right. I'm yammering. I love you guys. Thank you for listening to the show. And Mamba's out. For a head-bangingly good time, dive into the world of heavy metal with the Brutally Delicious Podcast. Here, we don't just talk music. We welcome you into our heavy metal family. Join us for candid chats with legends and rising stars. We go beyond the typical interviews, exploring raw emotions and the life-altering impact of heavy metal. So whether you're a diehard metalhead or just curious, join our family and let the head-banging begin with the Brutally Delicious Podcast.